Hi, welcome to the Muso podcast. For those of you who don't know, Muso is a gig booking platform that connects hirers and artists. I'll be interviewing some incredible guests and uncovering their secret tips and tricks to hopefully give you a better understanding of the inner workings of the music industry. And today, I'm talking to the one and only Patrick Donovan, the groundbreaking pioneer of music in Victoria and indeed Australia as a whole. And before he was the CEO of Music Vic, well, where do we begin? From singing in bands to a managing Iggy Pop to being the head music writer of the age and starting the iconic Sticky Carpet. I remember being in a band and to get a good review or to get a mention in that section was something that you'd go and show everyone. And not to mention the EG Awards. What he's achieved in the last 10 years at the helm of Music Vic, well, I couldn't list them all in an hour, but to name a few, the Agent of Change legislation, the establishment of the VMDO, the Music Victoria Awards, as well as helping to secure $15 million from the state government to save grassroots venues. And of course, the Live Music Census to develop the brand of Melbourne as the live music capital of the world. Often regarded as the real agent of change, in the Australian music industry. Here's my chat with him now. All right, Patty, let's go back to the start, man. Plenty to cover. First CD. First CD I actually brought was a sort of best of Santana. It was always about <laughs> trying to get as much value for money. So um, I still play it today, so I'm happy enough for that. Do you remember asking your parents when you were a young'un to buy you a CD or vinyl? Asked my mum to take me to uh, Brashes or wherever it was and yeah. uh, bought Purple Rain by Prince and like a Virgin by Madonna. I was mainly looking at the pictures of uh, the uh, Like a Virgin. <laughs> Can you pinpoint the moment uh, where your love for music first began? I still remember the two songs that I just fell in love with more than any others, and uh, it was Skyhooks, Everybody's Wearing Blue Jeans, and yeah. um, Steve Miller Band, Keep On Rocking Me, and um, two of my f- earliest memories, actually, just hearing those songs and thinking this just this is a cool world. And when did you decide the music industry... This is for me. This is what I want to do. Believe it or not, I was three when I heard those two songs. <laughs> yeah. I was three. Yeah. And I could not stop laughing during the <laughs> during the woo-woo bit of Keep On Rocking Me Baby. I was three and four in this photos of me dancing <laughs> to those songs. That's how early I had no say in it. Um, and then obviously getting to university, um, all ages gigs were really prominent, run by the push yeah. uh, at, at the um, My Music Bowl. Yeah. So I saw the Painters and Dockers and Tism and the Meanies and all of those great bands. And then when you're at uni, you've got a bit more time. So that's when you start playing in a band and going on radio and writing some reviews and um, it all sort of it all sort of uh, platformed from there. What was the music scene like in Melbourne at that time? It was, there was certainly a lot of all ages gigs for teenagers um, and the push ran amazing shows. So they had rock and the rails. So they had bands on trains and and on boats and um, at the Maya Music Bowl. So um, it's so important to be able to see live music when you're a teenager. Um, The hook you in before you going out and just socializing and partying, you know, once you if you start seeing live music before you actually start drinking, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, it's sort of part of your DNA. It's not yeah. just, oh, well, that's what you do, you know, whether you like music or not. But in the 90s, that's what people did. I mean, I still remember the late 90s when electronic music sort of came on the scene. Um, I still remember when they played uh, The Prodigy at Hard and Fast, the metal club, for the first time and yeah. everyone sort of looked at each other like, what's going on here? Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, live music and uh, and uh, live music clubs where they had the DJs playing was uh, very prominent um, in the early nineties, and um, it was more inner city, so it was very much around Brunswick Street. Yeah, um, you didn't have to go out much further than that. St Kilda was really strong as well, um, and the region. So um, yeah, it was very strong, and just having older siblings too 
yeah. was such a such an important part and in introducing us to so much um, good music and borrowing their records and um, still play them to this day. And then you went on to start a band and play yourself. Yeah, well, um, I wasn't a great singer, so I just wanted to be near um, a band. I wanted to be part of something. I started off as a second drummer. I think I was a manager for a while. Yeah. And um, as I keep saying to people, including my three sons who are learning, yeah. um, so often you'll be, you know, a teenager, you'll be gravitating towards other people who can play, you'll be jamming, and no one will have any lyrics. So yeah. <laughs> if you can write down some lyrics and have them ready to go yeah. and they're not nearly as hard as you think they'll be, then you might become the singer whether you can sing well or not. Um, and so that's what I did. I, I travelled and worked overseas when I was about 19 yeah. and wrote diaries because I was working and travelling alone and wrote all these diaries and yeah. took my took my diary along and um, and and form some songs out of um, out of some of those adventures and that's where it all started. So it wasn't through me being a good singer or having confidence in my voice. It was more about being a storyteller and no one else knew how to write um, a story. So yeah. I, I, I grabbed it by default and, and held that position for 27 years. I don't know. <laughs> what did you learn about travelling overseas and watching music in other countries? Um, hmm. I learned that Melbourne was probably the live music capital of the world. Yeah. Um, and I learned that... Um, it wasn't just touring bands. It was all bands that lived and, you know, lived in Melbourne that um, that you got to go and see. And as I went through uni, you uh, you might only see your favourite international band every couple of years, but you're quite happy to see your favourite local band 20 times a year. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I saw a few bands overseas, but really it was all, it was very much uh, Melbourne where it, it opened it all up for me. You studied economics at Monash University. Is that where the passion for writing began? Yeah, yeah. I just, I mean, to be honest, I was at uni doing what a lot of people do, just doing a, a broad broad degree or double degree just to avoid making the decision. No job sounded very enticing to me at that yeah. time. And um, then the legendary Jeff Jenkins, I said, how do you get to be a music writer? That sounds like a pretty good gig. <laughs> yeah. And he gave gave me the secret uh, information, which was you actually have to get a cadetship at a paper and then go and do that and do all the, all the uh, weird, wacky rounds like poli- night, night shift police rounds and um, you know, yeah. sport, sport, and 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 politics, and all sorts of um, different rounds. Yeah. And then eventually, after you've done a sort of extended apprenticeship, you can push for uh, a music writing job. So, thank you, Jeff, for passing that secret on to me all those years ago. And um, that's how I got into music writing. But um, it was a bit wasn't quite that easy. It was all about yeah time, time and place and taste. And I was writing about the first offshore festival, and. Um, I uh, lost my keys there, so they they found they found them the next day, and I came came in and they threw me the keys, and I threw them a tape of uh, Fu Manchu's first album, and um, I said, "You can't have a surf rock festival without this band." <laughs> yeah, and so um, the incredible timing and taste, and uh, they called me back a few weeks later, Simon Daly and Tim McGregor, and said. We're in love with this band. We've booked yeah. them for next falls. Do you want to tour manage them? Do you want to look after them? Wow. Um, and that was the offer, you know, losing yeah. my keys, throwing him a tape. <laughs> yeah. um, and then uh, Fu Manchu pulled out and then um, Iggy Pop uh, replaced them and um, they asked me to look after Iggy Pop instead. So I um, looked after Iggy Pop, driving him around the uh, Great Ocean Road and his family for the falls in 1998 New Year's Eve and then wrote a big story on that for the paper and then um, ended up persuading the editor to um, to give me the full-time music writing job as a, as, um, as a result of that. So my tip there is um, have good taste and always always uh, always put it out there and um, 
and you'll never never know what uh, might come back your way. What was it like meeting someone like Iggy Pop and being around him and being behind the scenes to see him perform at, you know, an, an incredible festival like Falls? Oh, the greatest privilege of my life, yeah. yeah. Um, he wasn't anything like I thought he'd be. I thought he was going to be wild. You know, I was going to get this amazing four-hour interview. Um, none of that happened, but he was a gentleman and he was um, – very debonair and we bonded over some obscure blues music yeah and we um got on really well and um the story ended up being about the contrast between what i thought he was going to be like and yeah of course what he, what he was what he was actually like but once again about taste he had a son who was a real wanker who was uh <laughs> out on out on the trip yeah. and uh his, his son was saying to me don't you even talk to my dad what? Son was just, his son was just out of jail and was trying to give himself a new position and he said, don't you even talk to my dad? What? And so um, we had a rehearsal at the Pacific Hotel where we pretended that um, it was just a, um, a Triple J Unearth band needing to warm up. Yeah. Uh, and so I was in the room with, you know, three other people and Iggy Pop and um, doing this oh. rehearsal. And <laughs> he jumped on the table and took off his shirt and it was unbelievable private concert it felt like. Yeah. And then, and then people started hearing Iggy and were queuing up out the front. Of and, course. I said, we better get you out of here. Where do, where do you want to go? And he said, take me where the river meets the sea, man. <laughs> Wouldn't expect him to say anything else. And um, <laughs> so, so jumped in the car, drove to, drove to Y River, yeah. and um, I was playing Junior Kimber, this pretty obscure bluesman, yeah. in the car, and he just loves Junior. And um, and so we had this beautiful drive around the Great Ocean Road from Lawn to Y River, and, and ever, ever from that moment, um, Iggy and I got on really well, and his son ran up and said, What's the name of that band? What's the name yeah, of that guy? Right. Trying to write it down. So, you know, I got to Iggy through Fibonacci, and then I got to Iggy through uh, Junior Kimbra. So, um, have good taste in music, my friends. That's an incredible story. Did you end up spending any long periods of time with any other musicians through your time at the age? Um, I, I had two things. One was most of the interviews with the heroes overseas were on the phone. Yeah. Um, so, but you know, that was that was Lou Reed and all Stones and and David uh, Bowie, Jay Harvey and, and Bowie, yeah, Bowie too. Right. And interestingly, Bowie and Jagger were probably the two nicest interviews. Yeah. Cool. Uh, and Lou was um, the nastiest interview. So yeah, that's not surprising. Famous, but there's something about Bowie and. Bowie and Mick Jagger, they, um, they're very smart and they're very gentlemanly and, and it's smart to be nice to a journal if you want a nice write-up. So um, yeah. that sort of made sense. But what I really, really loved was the Friday afternoons, I'd race down to the Spencer Hotel in West Melbourne yeah. and I'd interview my favourite local bands and cool. they, they would go all afternoon. And um, I really got to know some of those bands, um, you know, um, Sam Pebbles and and Paulie yeah. Stewart and uh, Spencer P. Jones and Ian Ryland and um, that was just wonderful, actually, when you actually got to sit around and spend some time with yeah. um, with some of these artists and get to know them pretty well. So that's sort of in the end why I left uh, the age and moved to Music Victoria because my favourite music and people were the, from the local scene and um, yeah, and I wanted to spend some more time helping them. In some ways, that's a massive decision, isn't it? Leaving the age, um, you know, those music journal jobs are pretty hard to come by to go to something like Music Vic that I think at the time only had one year of seated funding. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it was. It was not. I wasn't looking to leave. It was before the papers started um, struggling uh, with advertising. Yeah, and uh, the music fic job just came up, and um, I had a crack at it. So, um, yeah, it wasn't a hard decision to make. I mean, yeah, you often you can go for another job and think, well, I can always say no if, if they do offer it to me. But mm. once you've gone through it and learned more about it, it's quite exciting. But no one, I told you how hard it was to get the secret to get 
one of those full-time yeah. music writing jobs in the paper. There's only six six of them. Yeah. Um, so it was highly unusual. In fact, I think everyone, all of my peers are still in their jobs 10 years later. Yeah. So it was it was a big gamble. And to be honest, it looked like Labor would probably win another election. They were well, well ahead in the polls. Yeah. And then John Brumby lost, lost his government, lost the election. So we had seeding funding for one year and then uh, we were in trouble. The yeah. coalition weren't going to fund us. They gave us two years and said, that's it, then you're on your own feet. So I was starting to question after a couple of years um, the decision I'd made. But um, then we embarked on the uh, wild and wonderful 10-year journey that I've had at Music Victoria. And look, Matt, the other music peak bodies in Australia's history have often been defunded by the coalition. Yeah. They're, they're usually labour constructs. So Oz Music Foundation, Vic Rock Foundation, um, they're both defunded essentially yeah. or not supported by um, the Kennett government or, or the Howard government. So as, as scary as it was when Labor got kicked out after supporting Music Victoria, we it forced us to build a relationship and a very, very good relationship with some parts of the coalition government, including the Nationals and the Liquor Licence Minister, Ed O'Donoghue. And and what it did was um, it, it set the organisation up for generations because yeah. we have relationships with both sides and we were just sort of smart in terms of understanding what the coalition, you know, obviously the National Party want to focus on regions Yes. Um, and uh, for the coalition, for the Liberals it was about jobs and cutting red tape and supporting businesses. So um, it really ended up being a blessing in disguise that we had four years of the coalition government yeah. and we built relationships across government and, you know, then... After four years, Labor got back into power, and and uh, the King Daddy Martin Foley came in with forty million dollars over yeah. over six years. So we got all of the regulatory reform that we wanted through the coalition, yeah. and then um, and then Labor came back in and gave us forty million dollars over six years, and that will never ever be repeated. So yeah, it's it's interesting looking back on the ten years now and finishing up and realizing that that was a blessing in disguise having a change of government so early on. Yeah, and I mean we've always known Melbourne is such a strong. Music City, and I think that was really emphasised a couple of years earlier during the Slam rallies. I know you were there, I was there. It was quite unique. Yeah, it was absolutely incredible. Um, and I was writing for The Age at the time, and that was the industry leading that. And there were 3,000 people who rallied when they tried to close the tote because of Drac- yeah. draconian liquor licensing law. And then um, the Slam rally built and built, and that was sort of you know 20,000 people marching down the street. So... <clears throat> I was covering it for The Age and it was great that The Age had editors who were big music fans and kept yeah. not putting it on the front page. And, and my favourite was when um, we, just to show how ridiculous the laws were, we put a, a bazooki player, um, yeah. a, a Greek musician who was playing at a Greek restaurant on the on the front page um, because they were saying the government's rules required two security guards to stop <laughs> trouble being caused by this Greek uh, bazooki player at a restaurant. Yeah, And so The Age had a big role in that, which was great. But I remember saying to uh, Quincy McLean from um, Slam, you know, can I come to these meetings? Can I be part of it? What what you're organising? I yeah. wanted in, and and they said, no, no, you're a journo, you're on the side. You know, you can't be exposed to our plans. And I remember wanting to be in the tent, and that sort of certainly encouraged me to when the job came up to yeah. to to have a crack because I was doing things outside writing at the age, which probably pissed off the. Uh, the bosses because I wasn't employed to do them, but I just yeah, wanted yeah. to do more than writing. And one was I started the AGG Awards, which are now the Music Victoria Awards in yeah. its 16th year. And then the other was um, I started the campaign for ACDC Lane. So those were a couple of things that, you know, really showed my passion for championing yeah. uh, Victoria music. And um, they probably end up helping me get the job at Music Victoria. But I wanted to do more and I wanted to uh, get inside the tent. And um, it's been 
been a joy for the last 10 years. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about the campaign for ACDC Lane? Yeah, I was out one night with my mate Beach Watts and, um, you know, we were sick of seeing ACDC in the, in the stadiums and we really wanted to see them somewhere else. Yeah. But, of course, ACDC played a million gigs in little shitholes and high schools and never wanted to do that again. Yeah. And they got, and they got chased out of Melbourne by the cops and the authorities in the late 70s and never wanted to return. Mm. But anyway, that didn't impact us at 2 o'clock in the morning. And <laughs> we, we said, how are we going to get them to go and play somewhere else? And so we talked about the idea of how can we get them to play, you know, on the steps of Flinders Street Station or yeah. somewhere else. And then this whole idea came about, well, you know, if um, they had some kind of honour um, in the streets, then they might, uh, you know, re-reenact Long Way to the Top. <clears throat> uh, video clip yeah uh and so yeah we um we we started thinking about how you could pay tribute i mean it also came down to the fact that there were so many celebrations expensive celebrations of sports people yeah um from olympian olympians returning or um the tennis stars and just thought that you know musicians should get more um recognition and more credit so yeah ended up basically writing an article suggesting that acdc being our most popular exports should be recognized and um suggested a few different things, including a laneway or, a, you know, a statue or whatever. And it just turned out that the laneway was was much cheaper. And, yeah, there's other funny stories that what I called Melbourne City Council to ask who I speak to about how expensive or, you know, difficult it is to come up with a laneway. And um, Tom Parker was the one I was put through to, who was yeah. the guitarist from my band from 10 years earlier. And so uh, he gave me the gave me the goss and started a big campaign and Marty Bolton from The Age was involved and James Young came in at the end and we got it up. And then, yeah, we, of course, we had to get the band back together after after that. That was just a sign. You know, we fought really hard for ACDC Lane to be there where Cherry Bar was yeah. because it was so important. And get the photo and then go and hear some Akadaka and every time they came to town, they didn't do any interviews or, yeah. you know, they were shy. So everyone would, news crews would all come down to ACDC Lane. So it was very sad when um, Cherry moved out of there and, you know, hopefully one day another uh, one of those bars might, you know, play some rock and roll and put on some bands. But, you know, that's what happens with venues, you know. Uh, yeah. When rents go up, they have to move. And, you know, after COVID, um, some venues, you know, might find themselves squeezed out of some areas. But, yeah. Um, you know, they can move to uh, other areas and we, we've recently lobbied the government to introduce planning recognition for live music. So from now on, any time a planning decision is made, they need to factor in the value and yeah. the uh, be- benefit of live music. So w- what will happen is councils can set up live music precincts. So what we'll see in the future is in certain areas, it'll just be like, this is just focus on music. Wow. You can play music higher. Anyone moving in has to um, follow, you know, the direction of music and support yeah. it. And in future, we can have all sorts of band band name streets in those areas. Yeah. And, um, and they'll be protected forever. So hopefully it'll save for places like Cherry and allow them to stay in ACDC Lane. That's an incredible story. I want to go back to the early days at Music Vic and I want to quote you from, um, I think it was 2011 when you said, I remember when I went to South by Southwest in 2011 and I struggled to get people to meet with me because I'd hardly heard of Melbourne and now we're recognised globally as a leading music city. How long did that process take to get from A to B? Yeah, that's a, it's a good question. Um Fairly soon after I started at Music Vic, I just thought, well, well, I mean, we were already talking to the industry and Arts Victoria, as it was known back then, about trying to get some recognition. Yeah. Because we knew Melbourne was one of the best places in the world. We had, we knew we had Triple R and PBS at, you know, and Triple M, and but it was kind of like we knew how good it was, but the rest of the world didn't, and the yeah. government didn't. Yeah. We we didn't even know. We we didn't even know how many venues we had and what the economic contribution was. Yeah. So we needed to basically we needed to to, to do some uh, gather some data. 
and then we needed to yeah. work out what our where we sat in the scheme of things, get some branding happening. Austin Texas was very clever and they decided that they would copyright trademark their name as the live music capital of the world based on the number of venues per capita. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's a it's a rocking city, but it's only got, you know, a couple hundred venues. Mm. And it's quite a small city as a lot of those city satellite cities are in America. So I persuaded the board to send me over to South by Southwest and I set up all these meetings with the yeah. government and relevant bodies to find out how they how they did that branding. But also they really did support musicians. They had Bands playing after every council meeting. Yeah, they had they had an early version of the Agent of Change to protect venues from uh, noise complaints from neighbours. They had parking permits for musicians, so they really were yeah. they really were a standout. And um, so I set up these meetings, and it was during South by, which is pretty pretty hectic. And I just kept on getting stood up. So um, good old Paul Cashmere ended up saying, oh, there's a, a welcoming party from the governor or you need to get into that because that's where everyone will be. So um, Marty Bolton and I um, snuck into that and then I found everyone, <laughs> yeah. found everyone there and then just went around with my dictaphone, just didn't care, just pushed in, said, right, how'd you do this? How'd you do that? Yeah. And got all of this fantastic information and I'll never forget it. Straight afterwards, we jumped in a tuk-tuk and I was so happy because <laughs> I said to the board, oh, you know, I'll get all the goss and I'll write a report and it yeah. looked like what's going to happen. Anyway, we jumped in a tuk-tuk <laughs> to go and see go and see the wagons dri- <laughs> driving down Willie Nelson Boulevard, <laughs> singing Willie Nelson by the wagons and then straight into a wagon show where Jack, Jack, Jack White and all these people were checking out the wagons, jumping up and down to their Willie Nelson song. And, um, and he was an Austin, Texas legend. So I went back and wrote up a report and presented yeah. it to, to government and city of Melbourne and, um, and then started going about trying to steal all their ideas. And yeah, we, we got parking permits for musicians in City of Yarra. Yeah. And we got um, uh, Melbourne Music City app. We started developing the brand. And then, uh, you know, we worked on building on what Austin had already done. Yeah. And we started um, basically lobbying for reform. So agent of change. Yeah. Um, all ages gigs, building code exemptions. So a lot of that, oh, those ideas came from Austin. And it kind of took me about nine years to, you know, work with, the industry and music Victoria to sort of achieve that. And by that point, we ended up being considered the, the live music capital of the world with the most venues in the world out of any city. And also um, then Music Victoria won this, uh, was nominated for the best global music office uh, yeah. in the world uh, about a month ago. So, yeah, once that had all happened, I thought, you know, that journey, you know, we, we were, we've realised some of that vision and, you know, it helped put us on the map overseas. And look, some people said, why are you gloating? Why are the back slapping? And Dove Newton, who I did all of that uh, work with on the Live Music Census, is the most yeah. humble man in the world from the bushwhackers and the like. But it wasn't for gloating or backpacking. Um, it was essentially so we could end up getting more investment from the government, more yeah. respect from the government, and more people would move here. At the same time, Sydney was going down the gurgler. And it, you know, it, it really paid off in terms of investment into the into the state, and it also gave people a lot of pride. You know, every time you know I'd hear triple triple R or PBS radiothon, they'd always talk about the quote, the, the figures. You know, live music couple of the world. Yeah, and, yeah. And so the last thing I'll say about that is we didn't do anything to make it a better city, apart from you know maybe some support with some of the laws. It was already the live music couple of the world. We just basically proved it yeah. and branded it. When did people internationally? really start catching on and realizing, hey, Melbourne has this thriving music scene that we want to be a part of? Well, there's a company called Sound Diplomacy and they um, started um, running Music City conferences. So I got asked to speak at a few of those and Helen Marco from Slam was flown to quite a few events and uh, got asked to speak about the Slam rally. So 
you know, people just couldn't believe the 20,000 people marched down the streets for music. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's a hell of a story. And so I suppose we, especially with that network of the music cities, um, before that, it was all about UNESCO City of Music or City of Literature. You know, um, South Australia, Adelaide actually received uh, UNESCO City of Music. So they were sort of on the register there, but that was a bit old school, the UNESCO recognition. Yeah. Um, then along the, this Music Cities um, idea came along and it was more about not who's the best, but who's in that network. Yeah. You know, who in, you know, who, who else is an exalted company? And yeah. Seriously, to be sitting on panels with cats out of Memphis and yeah, um, yeah, yeah. New York, and uh, it was just unbelievable. I mean, the proudest moments of my life representing Melbourne yeah. you know, at these global conferences. Um, and, you know, the Slam Rally, the Agent of Change, um, the live music census, the number of venues, the quality of the acts. Yeah. You know, they'd only heard of four or five Australian acts, but um, everything else added up. And the government support, like in America, governments just don't support. Uh, their music sense, it's all through philanthropy. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it all started stacking up and it was a really good tale. It was a good narrative and um, people wanted to hear about it and then other cities wanted the agent of change. So yeah. we started consulting to them and now they all want to know about this planning recognition that, that we put through. And yeah. um, so, you know, it's it's important to share the love and, and also to support Sydney and the other states because all of the Victorian acts need to tour around Australia and yeah. need to tour around the world. And I'll tell you what, when the 15 mil of funding came through for grassroots venues a couple of months ago in Victoria, you know, that that hopefully will help most yeah. of our key venues survive. I'll tell you what, they're all going down to Gurgler overseas. Yeah. I mean, people will be flying to Melbourne uh, for, you know, holidays just to see bands. I mean, yeah. it's going to get to a stage where you're not going to be able to have, you know, 50 choices in one night in many cities at all. It's, yeah. it's going to be pretty bleak, but Melbourne's going to be, going to be absolutely thriving and it will it will survive this and um it's been really hard but um yeah i think you know the financial support and the you know the new planning recognition and support um will ensure that um you know it survives for our kids and generations yeah. to enjoy just like we have and one thing i think music vic has done so well is set up regional victoria so that when bands are ready to play they'll have different places to go rather than just staying in the city. How much of an emphasis did you have on regional Victoria and getting that set up when you first started? Well, Maddie, I mean, you, you would know um, as, as well as anyone, uh, being the hard, hard-working touring musician you are, what's a regional crowd like? What's the experience like compared to Melbourne? It's incredible. Play, yeah. Playing in regional anywhere. I mean, you know, you see the, the passion for music. It becomes, yeah. it's almost like, it's like an event, isn't it? And it's great for attracting new yeah. fans because it'll be like there's a band down at the pub Look, I haven't heard of the band, but everyone's gone. I'll pay twenty five bucks. You go in, they buy the merch, they do that, and all of a sudden, they're a fan of the band. It's it's what it used to be like in Brunswick Street. You know, they yeah. go to the punters club, and people would punt. It was like you're betting on horses. You just yeah. you just turn up to the punters, and you'd see whoever was there because you had faith in the booker. And people unfortunately don't seem to be prepared to take quite the risks that they did with bands and uh, DJs thirty years ago. Yeah, because they're so used to just uh, instant gratification, and they can hear one or two songs. And they used to go in the groove in the moo and yeah. hearing that song they like and then moving on. So it is it is harder in, in regional in terms of do people want to go and see three bands that sound the same that they may not have heard of? If you're yeah. not on Triple M or Triple J, it's very hard to get that kind of traction. But the bands that do invest in regional early on, 
will be rewarded for it. And uh, people don't forget them in the regions. No. They can keep, keep coming back and pulling a crowd. You know, it was like I had two jobs with Music Pick. One was the city, which we're building into this, you know, best scene in the world. And yeah. then there was the regional, which yeah. was completely different. We, we, we never had a full-time regional officer, but I'll jump to it and say that we've just received funding to right. employ regional offices in three areas across the state. Yeah. So I'm really thrilled that before I leave that that will be in place. We yeah. just love those venues in the regions and the regional artists and more and more music industry professionals, managers, yeah. uh, booking agents are all moving to the regions because, you know, you can yeah. work from home now. Mm. So I really think that's going to be good for the regions. Um, <clears throat> we did a few good things with the regions, uh, including the Victoria Music Crawl. So this was, you know, a really great idea that was we developed with Kirsty Rivers from Creative Victoria who was working there at the time. And yeah. we thought, what do the regions need? And we did a big regional audit, found out what the gaps were, what they needed. And it just turned out no one ever from the city ever went to the regions and visited the venues. There's always yeah. too much on in Melbourne. So the biggest enemy of the regions was Melbourne. Mm. So what we came up with this idea was this Victorian music crawl where we'd just chuck a whole bunch of really influential people on a bus and we would take them on a three-day trip and we would basically mimic a regional touring circuit yeah. and we would book local bands playing in all the weird and wonderful local venues. We'd get the local media to come along, we'd yeah. get the council to get involved and um, we'd, just, we'd just have this rip in three days and, and we'd show off these regional touring circuits to promoters and bands so they could actually see that they could do a tour along yeah. that way and then also promoters who could discover regional acts to to you know play at their events and to see the venues as well. And, you know, I mean, it was amazing some of the people that said, oh, yeah, I've been to that venue. And then we went yeah. down underground into um, into Corova Lounge and, like, clearly they'd never been there. <laughs> yeah. They'd booked bands there for, for years. So, look, the regions are, are an absolute essential part of, you know, the Victorian ecosystem. It's really important for not just Melbourne Victorian bands, Australian bands and international bands to be able to do, you know, 10 shows in Victoria and uh, they need to tour the regions. And then... The regional musicians need places to play, so it's yeah. very important we have those venues. And then the regional fans, you know, need uh, to enjoy themselves. And it's very important that we have, you know, I think it's really important that every person in Victoria should have a, a rehearsal studio or a music teacher or a music venue within 100 k's. Yeah, you know, you've got to have access to music, and we're really going to continue to work on building up those circuits. We persuaded a couple of councils to write music, live music action plans. Yeah. So we realised we couldn't continue to drive around the state the whole time. So we're sort of trying to work with groups like the Mornington Peninsula Music Network, City of Geelong and Ballarat have live music action plans. So we work with them to develop that so they can support their own scenes. And that's yeah. what will happen with these new regional offices. Did you notice that it seems like a lot of bands are relocating to Melbourne for that exact reason? Did you notice that over your tenure? It seems like I've noticed that, that a lot of bands that would be supporting us interstate are moving to Melbourne for that exact reason because it's it's such a community here. Yeah, and, and it's an easy state to tour around. You yeah. can do a regional tour, nothing's more than sort of five hours away. Um, yeah, I've certainly we certainly were very aware of all of the bands and artists moving to Melbourne because and Victoria because with the Music Victoria Awards that we run, we have regional awards yeah. and you have to have lived in Victoria uh, for two years to be considered Victorian and you had to, two thirds of your band had to be based in the region. So yeah. we were very aware each year of um, how many artists that were from the interstate that we had to go and pretty much look at their uh, driver's license and, and get confirmation <laughs> that they are actually, you know, Victorians and we can claim them. So um, yeah. yeah, that started happening over, you know, year, five, six years ago. And now we're noticing that other um, industry professionals and bookers and some real, 
real guns have moved here from Sydney yeah. just because it's where it's at. And um, and that's been really great for everyone. Another draw card, and it must be coming up on nearly 10 years now, is Melbourne Music Week. It just seems to keep growing and growing and growing and is very unique because it's so diverse. Melbourne Music Week started just at the time that we started. Yeah. It was um, Councillor Cathy Oak from the City of Melbourne who wanted the City of Melbourne to respond to the Slam Rally and those issues because mm. it was right you know, in Swanson Street, the protest out the front of um, Town Hall. And so they had a fashion week and a comedy festival. And so she um, pushed through this idea of a Melbourne Music Week yeah. and um, just to really focus on music for the 10 days. And um, so that's um, the same, you know, that's that's about 10 years old now as well. Yeah. Um, I remember um, 10 years ago being at the uh, Collingwood St Kilda replay. Replay grand final, yeah. Green play grand final, and uh, I had to stop celebrating straight after the game and run to the town hall <laughs> and run our very first panel. Um, <clears throat> so I have memories of when that started 10 yeah. years ago. And um, so it, they've got some really exciting plans that they'll announce very soon. You know, we keep on waiting. Who's going to make the first step? Who's going to be the first to start putting on a bunch of shows? Yeah. And um, Sally Sally Cap, the mayor, is really very, um, very keen on supporting uh, businesses and events in City of Melbourne. Yep. And uh, the council will work really closely with hospitality and, 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 and shows as well. So I think Melbourne Music Week is going to be quite spectacular this year. And right. we will uh, enjoy it more than ever because, um, you know, in terms of the, the first shows, everyone's worried about, you know, getting fined or there being an outbreak or something like that. Um, but if it's done in partnership with the council um, and they can streamline, you know, approval processes and, and be, be, be part of it and help the venues um, abide by, you know, COVID plans, that's going to be really exciting. So stay tuned for some announcements with Melbourne Music Week about what it's going to do, um, be doing over, you know, the next couple of months. Oh, that's super exciting. How long do you think the process is going to be before we get back to the norm? Look, to be honest, until there's a, a cure, there's a vaccine, you know, it's not going to be back to what it was. In terms of the opportunities, um, there's going to be incredible opportunities for local bands because I don't think uh, inter- international bands will be coming in for a year or so. Yeah. You know, we're pretty resilient, the music industry, and and we just need to look at the opportunities. Hopefully most of the venues and most of the artists have been able to survive and, yeah. and hibernate and write great music and get ready to burst out and all the fans are dying to hear them play again. But the opportunity is for local bands to be playing across Victoria and, and having those opportunities to headline festivals, yeah. um, to headline, you know, Corova Lounge or the Volta on a Saturday night when it used to be international bands maybe. But in terms of it's going to be opening up pretty slowly. I mean, we can't fool ourselves. You know, the worst thing for COVID is having people in a cramped spot singing, talking loudly. Yeah and kissing and dancing and that's what it's all about maddie amen so that is basically we're going to be last we're going to be last out but you know there will be opportunities because councils are going to be spending money and government spending money because they need people to go back to the cities they need people to uh get together again yeah you know humans need to you know come together and and have that experience. So, you know, I have no doubt things will come back bigger and as big and stronger as ever, but we can't sort of put a time in it. Yeah. Um, certainly, initially, it will be outdoor shows and then it will be seated shows. Yeah. People will have to pay more money for those seated shows and it's not good for people who don't have a lot of money. Yeah. But if you can get into one of those seated shows, I mean, 
I saw Phil Parra. For our listeners, is a Melbourne music icon. At at Cherry. <laughs> and I could not have, I was racing on to buy a ticket. I was $100. Yeah. No one's, no one's ever paid to pay, pay to see Phil Parra. Nah. He's always for free. I could not get on quick enough to spend 100 bucks yeah. to see Phil Parra and then sat down and saw his same set he's been doing for 30 years. And it was sublime. I saw James Ellis and the Jealous Guys one night at a stream show as well. And I'd never appreciated their musicality quite like this because I yeah. was sitting down perfect sight lines no one was talking to me no one was walking past and um so there are some really you know it's it's resetting everything COVID and you know people's appreciation of music is going to be through the roof I agree and um I just really hope people who can afford it will pay a bit more and then they'll keep paying more because artists have been paid too little for too long yeah and we need to reset that so we're actually doing some research around the world around some different case studies and different models around uh scenes that support respect and pay and value artists more so we're getting about five case studies done in france you know all the artists who perform a minimum number of shows get a tax rebate gotcha we're yeah at, cool um, we're looking at re- tax rebates for venues so they can pay artists better um small venues are struggling as well they need some more support um so with things were broken before covid and we we're going to do some work while things are yeah. shut down and a bit quieter and look under the bonnet and think well what can we improve what was broken before what can we fix so we're, we're doing some 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 strong work in that area and um hopefully when we come out of this um artists will be valued more and they'll um they'll be compensated at a high level what advice do you have for the musos just kind of starting out now that are looking to kind of get their foot in the door but you know obviously can't go out and play live well you know write 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 as soon as you can yeah. um start jamming you know be really smart there's just you know imagine for a moment it just let's forget about live for the next four months let's forget live even exists how can you develop your business and how can you make money not through live because everyone's just been relying on live too much you know to be honest ever since Spotify and the labels, but he screwed the artists with one center, one center song. Yeah, we lost that battle. Unfortunately, I wish, I wish you know, few more people stood up for the artists when that happened. But it's yeah. gone. You can't make serious income out of um, out of recorded music. So there's got to be other ways to do it. And this could happen again. There could be another pandemic. We might lose our live income. So what are the other ways that you could actually build your digital brand? Be really smart. Find out there's a lot of support for artists and managers out there through all the sort of associations and peak bodies. Tap yeah. into that because they're offering some really good advice. There's a lot of grants from councils and governments. There's a huge grant at the moment for $3 million for grants. So think about how you can build up your online presence, how you can uh, make sure you're applying for all of the grants, how can you uh, make your recordings as good as possible. And people are desperate to communicate and connect again. So just write about, you know, your stories and write about what it means, you know, what you're feeling at the moment because what you're feeling is what everyone else is feeling. And if you can express that, those songs are going to be really popular and go through the roof and bring people back together. And life will return, but you've got to think about syncing and building a global brand and how do you get out to sort of the whole world. Yeah. I guess it really is encouraging artists to diversify and become invested more in their careers rather than just kind of leaving it to a manager to do you know, they really are taking in all aspects of their like online and things like that now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So there's opportunities there and live will come back. But um, yeah, just write down what you're feeling. And as we say to those regional acts, write about where you're from, you know, write about things that are unique to Melbourne, you know, write about, um, you know, landmarks and, and sayings and singing in Australian yeah, accent, yeah, yeah. do all those things that make you different to all those other generic bands from around the world. Hey, Paddy, tell us about the Music Victoria Awards. I mean, it, it went from quite a small event 16 years ago to one of the biggest and most rewarded music awards in the country. How did that grow? Um, yeah, well, it's another 
funny story, believe it or not. We had a <laughs> uh, e- editor, a new editor from uh, England who came into the age and he uh, was reviewing the paper and said, what's this, what's this EG section about and what's this, what's this sticky column, a sticky carpet sticky column cup, about yeah. where he just writes about his weekend and I thought he was going to trash it. I thought he was going to turn it into timeout, yeah, um, into a nice little neat booklet just with listings. So I thought, hang on a minute, we need to celebrate this and we need him to know how important EG is to the scene. Yeah. So I don't know. I I just I said, we're turning 21, let's just have a party. It's a bit of a vague memory. Let's donate the money to Support Act when they were really new at the time and let's just see who's happy to give back to um, EG. Yeah. And so it was Jimmy Barnes, Renee Geyer, Mark Seymour. We got this whole lineup together and then, we thought we can interact with the readers and ask them to vote on their favourite music over the 21 years. Great. So did it at the Prince a year one and good old Jeffy Jenkins again. He um, was on Brian Wise on Off the Record the next day yeah. and said to Brian, wow, what a great event. Surely that's going to be an annual event, which I hadn't even thought of. It was just a, <laughs> it, it was supposed to be a once, one, one event to persuade the new editor not to change our quirky entertainment section. <laughs> So it built and built and built, and I um, ran it with Emily Orman at the Prince of Wales. Um, yep. And then when I left the age 10 years ago, Joe Roberts and Marty Bolton and um, Mary Malakis uh, ran it for a few years. Yeah. And then when uh, the industry said that they really wanted a state music awards, we did a joint venture to run it together. And then eventually, a couple of years ago, the age pulled out. So it's at 16 years now. Um we have like hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars of prizes, which is pretty amazing. It used to be a pretty loose night. Um, that ha- that happens when Sailor Jerry's uh, <laughs> and Mountain Goat are the sponsors. But um, we ended up basically realising that we um, couldn't have people talking over the speeches and yeah. all of that. So we ended up moving to the Recital Centre, who are a major sponsor, and suddenly it's this really classy event. Yeah, funny how so, it happens, but... <laughs> I know, <laughs> but but I must say at the time, you know, we music uh, in Victoria had become very sophisticated, very strategic. It was being name checked by you know politicians and people around the world, and yeah. it actually we'd grown up a lot. It actually felt right two years ago when we moved into the recital centre, and it's a beautiful thing when we have um, you know bands who have never ever played at the recital centre, never yeah. thought they ever would. The acoustics yeah. are exquisite, and for them to actually be up on that stage in that beautiful hall um, performing or just accepting an award. And I'm really proud that we still have our genre awards. Yes. I mean, the genre winners quite often in tears have never been recognised or yeah. won anything in their lives and here they are, you're the best jazz artist in the state or you're the best heavy metal artist in the state. So, you know, it's one of my proudest things that I've been involved in and that's going to be hard to let go because not just, you know, 10 years at Music Peak or, or seven of those years but, you know, six years at the age as well. So, um yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, attending as a fan and um, just enjoying it. You know, it's it's a special event and it's a fun event and it means a lot to the industry and, you know, there's a lot of pride on, on yeah. you know, in the air that night. I think so too and I think the, the bands that perform, it's almost like an honour, like bands really do put so much time and effort into a performance like that in front of their peers, in front of people that they respect and something that's so diverse. I don't think there's anything like that in the country. Yeah, it's a pretty wacky night. Um, we try and represent all the genres and, yeah, um, yeah so we'll be announcing the lineup um, in a couple of days' time of uh, who's playing this year. Yeah, and uh, it's it's fantastic being at the Recital Centre. It's a beautiful room and it's great that uh, people can aspire to a night of nights and 
dress up and um, all get together. No one, no one gets together. You're all, you're all playing on Friday, Saturday night. Yeah. So it's the only time everyone's together and can hang out. It's unreal. <laughs> hey, we want to get to um, 10 years in, in 10 minutes. Just a couple of questions to finish off um, and some advice for some up-and-coming musicians that listen to this podcast. You've got a wealth of knowledge and more or less just to pick your brain on a couple of things too. What's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? I mean, for a songwriter, um, it's just being honest and speak, sing about your own experience, which will be unique and different to other people's experience. Um, fake it till you make it is a pretty good, good line. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> God, there's, there, there, there's so many. I mean, I think about some of the artists that I got, you know, turned on to and that impact it had on me. Oh, there's so many. I mean, obviously Jeff Jenkins saying, you know, personally get into the music industry and you know go for a cadetship at the paper and, and see, yeah. see where that leads you and the best advice i'll pass on is keep on striving discovering new music have that taste seek it out and then share that with people because uh yeah you know that's what happened with me with Fu Manchu and iggy pop and junior kimbra what was was that your first kind of pinch yourself moment doing that drive down the great ocean road stopping at Wire river with iggy pop yeah that was that was uh that was a pinch yourself moment um being a huge fan of the Painters and Dockers when I was young and then my band supporting the Painters and Dockers at the Hi-Fi Bar yeah. was um, was just one of those close circle, you know, full circle moments um, that I couldn't believe, you know, I was literally a kid idolising this band <laughs> yeah. and eventually, you know, you get, you get to play with them. Um, you know, interviewing Mick Jagger and um, talking to him about my favourite song, Sympathy to the Devil, and discussing The Master and the Margarita, this famous Russian novel which inspired the song yeah and having a chat chat to Mick Jagger about Russian uh, literature was <laughs> yeah. um a fairly wanky uh <laughs> self moment I I looked at my story recently about what I wrote about Mick and it you know, it wasn't much for the reader there. It was that was purely <laughs> so I could actually be talking to Mick Jagger about Russian literature about my favorite song. Um, so that was uh, that was a bit of a pinch pinch yourself moment. Getting the music Victoria job, yeah, pinch yourself moment. So yeah, I've been I've been very very lucky, and you know, you just got to be enthusiastic and and always searching. There's so much music out there. There's so many bands out there. Never, you know, don't just sit there on the weekend and listen to the same old shit. You know, keep on searching. Share it. Get in. Get in music groups. Keep on sharing music with each other, and keep on learning. Keep on being inspired. That is fantastic advice. What changes in the industry stand out to you since you began your term as CEO in two thousand and ten? <sighs> the streaming deal, the Spotify. You know, it's great for a fan. Great that we can listen to whatever we want. You know, but how the artists got screwed over with that deal is just appalling. They are not making any money out of recorded music anymore, and and you know. No one really stood up and, and defended them. So yeah, that, that that was shocking. So look, I think whether it's one particular thing with Victoria, but you know, the moment the Victorian public and the government started taking music really seriously, yeah, was a really really big moment. When you start hearing premiers and ministers quoting music as the live music capital of the world, when you start seeing Visit Victoria, the government's tourism arm, making music one of its key uh, pillars. Yeah. saying we we have four things that we're better at than anyone else, and and, and music's one of them. And just, yeah, so that, that was a really big moment. And then COVID, you know, uh, there's another two-hour conversation there. Um, the day that everything fell apart, you know, and people were at that New Order concert the night, the, the last concert before everything was going to shut down, you know, we're at Golden Plains as well, you know, just not knowing how severe it was going to be. And then seeing, you know, some of the people who remained really positive and really strong and got off their ass and just kept things afloat during COVID, 
and you know uh, we're real heroes and you know kept the flame alight for a lot of people so yeah you know we'll come out of this sort of stronger but you know it's hard not to rate COVID as the biggest sort of catastrophe that the music industry has ever faced and you know fortunately there's a lot of government support uh, to help people get through it but what what the industry looks like you know we just can't tell you know have to have to ask me in June or something next year what was what was the moment if we can just quickly go back on that when um you you realized the real seriousness of it <clears throat> it happened so gradually it was like slowly falling sort of off the edge of a cliff i mean like a jagged one um on an incline you know we were writing live music guide to how you can put on a show for 50 people then we had to change it to 20 to 10 i mean it just kept on sort of um contracting and to be honest, we never thought it would go to nothing for six yeah. months. Um, we, we never sort of fear, feared the worst. And um, then people were um, shaming these venues that were opening, saying you shouldn't be open at all because mm. you could spread the virus. So it got it got a bit bit nasty there. It's When did we realise it was going heavy? Well, I certainly remember when it was first raised. We were in February running a live music venues session for City of Yarra Venues and we asked for, you know, other business, any questions at the end of the session? And John Perring from the Tote just said, well, what, anyone got any concerns about this sort of COVID thing that's sort of happening uh, over in, in China and what it might lead to? And I think people just said, oh, just just make sure you get some hand sanitizer, everything will be fine. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so that's what I remember. And the rest is just a, the rest is just a blur, man. Yeah. I mean, you know, from the moment it happened, we just started having weekly meetings with all the venues and trying to get them all the help that we could. Good and yeah, and there was a sixteen-week campaign, you know, and Save Our Scene came in, and you know, we're trying to get money for the venues, and we got yeah. it. And it took sixteen weeks, uh, but we got it. And then, you know, the department that we thought would get the money from, you know, the minister got the ass, you know, yeah. and then just, just you wouldn't read about it. No, just, you, just you literally you but, can't make it up, you know, can you? And then, you know, if we think about ten years earlier with the Slam Rally, we literally it, February twenty-three, we had a very humble gathering uh, at the Railway Hotel in North Carlton just to celebrate, you know, uh, what happened with the Slam Rally 10 years earlier. And, you know, we were about to do a few talks with, you know, Helen and Slam and a few others and um, just talk about what what that meant and how far we'd come. And we were about to celebrate our 10th anniversary membership drive. We had all these people. We had Molly saying happy birthday. You know, it was literally celebrate 10 years, how far we've come. How good are we? How how good is Victoria? And then bang, bam, pull pulled the membership drive like two days before it was supposed to start in, in, yeah. in uh, mid March. Oh, hang on, this isn't right. This isn't right. Something's wrong. Pull it, pull it. All right, we pulled it. No membership drive. Okay, we're going into COVID. And then three weeks later, all right, everyone's saying they really need to be connected and need support, but they have, don't have any money. And then the board yeah. decided free free membership for everyone. Bam, yeah, free membership. Amazing. And we got up to 6,000 members. Yeah. So we went from membership drive, pull a membership drive, do a membership drive, make it free um, and connect people. So, you know, when I'm heading off at the end of the year, there's 6,000 members who are connected and, yeah. you know, it's um, people need to be connected and we run a number of, you know, Zoom sessions, whether it's networking or professional development or the awards, but people are desperate to be connected with each other. And we we can help six thousand people at the moment, and we really hope that that a lot of those people will stay connected because that's getting close to what happened on the slam yeah. you know, during the slam rally on the streets, where everyone just came together and said we need each other and we're going to help each other. So um, yeah, look, it, it it it's still too close and too raw, you know. Mm. Um, at some stage, I'll sit down and probably 
write something down about the whole process. But yeah. all I can say is celebrating 10 years and then fall off a cliff and it's just been a blur ever since. Yeah, and I mean, like, the music industry, it is, it's such a social one, isn't it? Like, people do it. People love performing, so not necessarily for the money, but they're doing it because they like it and it's such a social thing. They sacrifice a full-time job so that they can be performers and do what they love and to have that taken away must have such a, a, a toll on so many people's mental health through this period. Oh, God. I mean, if you think about the, you know, the combination of, not being able to express yourself, not being able to um, jam with your band, not being able to earn an income. A lot of people's partners are in the music industry as well, so you've got the double double yeah. whammy and uh, so much uncertainty about the future. Um, these venue owners who, you know, could run any other business and make a lot more money, uh, but they run these small venues because they love it, they um, believe in it, and they've lost all of this money. They've been, you know, compensated uh, to some degree, um, but they're all heroes, you know, the musicians yeah. and the venue owners and the managers, you know, they could earn much more money, have much more, um, you know, sustainable careers outside. Yeah. And they're all, and they're all heroes and they're all doing it so hard. And, um, you know, um, I just, uh, I, we just know that Victoria needs them. Victoria needs yeah. the venues, needs the musicians, you know, that's going to be the glue that's going to bring everyone back together. And I just hope that people are going to pay more for it in the future. <clears throat> If they find a vaccine, we're back to normal. Um, it all comes down to the vaccine. But if there's no vaccine, then there won't be international uh, tours for quite a while. There won't be fest- mass-scale festivals as we know them for quite a while. Yeah. And there won't, there won't be nightclubs. I mean, you cannot run a nightclub without, you know, with any restrictions. You can't run a festival properly without any restrictions. So, you know, it's going to be a gradual return to seated shows. I mean, you can see what's happening around the state. Yeah. Um, you know, there was a big celebration in South Australia yesterday because people can actually stand up and have a beer. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, you know, the, the the ban on dancing. I mean, go speak to Chris Gill from Northside Records, you know, um, and the funk and soul and hip-hop community. You know, mm. you can't sit, sit down to that music. So I hope there's a vaccine. I hope everything's back to normal. Yeah. Um, but, you know, certainly over the summer, we certainly know governments are going to be spending a a lot of money because music and food brings people back together. Yeah. And to try and save the ghost town that Melbourne's become is a real priority because Melbourne's got one of the best CBDs in the world. Mm. You know, you go to Toronto or anywhere else and it's just, it's, oh, it's, just, it's, yeah. it's a business district. Yeah. It's, 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 it's really dull. Uh, so I really hope that Melbourne, which is really the heartbeat of, you know, the city and the state, I really hope that can come back because, you know, uh, it's it's really wounded at the moment and it, it makes my heart bleed, you know. Yeah. Um, I just hope we don't lose too many people from the music industry. But people are going to have to go and work in construction, take any job they can. As soon as this JobKeeper winds down and runs out from March, you know, that's, that's a big concern. You know, the crews, the roadies, you know, um, all the people that work in this $1.7 billion industry, so many of them are going to leave and going to have to go and work in, you know, some of these other industries that are, are still doing okay. And um, we're going to lose a hell of a hell of lot, lot of talented people. Yeah. You've had 10 amazing years at uh, Music Victoria. What are your hopes for the next 10? Well, look, we've got 6,000 members at the moment. Um, I really hope people want to stay connected and um, and be supported through Music Victoria. So I really hope that, you know, those 6,000 stay on and it gets up to 20,000. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, it's really important that they, um, that, you know, 
obviously the more numbers, the more seriously taken by government and the more discounts that we can get for the industry. But um, just to have those, you know, people connected and just have a really strong body um, will be really important. I think, you know, innovation is going to be really important. You know, the Victoria Music Development Office, which we manage for um, the state government, is um, is going to be absolutely vital because that's basically opening up new opportunities and new um, income streams and new territories. So they're yeah. doing some really clever, clever work in terms of innovation. Um, so hopefully that will be continued to be funded. Music Victoria will continue to be funded. And, um, you know, we can keep we can keep growing. I mean, regional is going to be really important, these new regional offices. So, you know, I feel like um, we've laid the foundations for it to really, really explode over the next 10 years. I yeah. mean, Q, Q Music's and Wham, they're in their 30th years now. So once they're really established... You know, it gets to the stage where any government will fund them just because they can see, you know, yeah. really the value, value in that yeah. and the return on investment. So, um, look, I just hope that, you know, Melbourne can recover. You know, Melbourne and Victoria was absolutely at, at a peak, um, you know, in, uh, you know, six months ago, eight months ago, and I just hope it can get back to that level. Yeah. And um, I really hope that um, the venues survive and I hope um, that, um, that, we, that artists can get paid more. Um, and can be valued more. And I think that people will value artists and live performances and music a lot more because there's not much else to do. You know, music's got people through this um, and people just need to start paying for it a bit more. And we need to increase those door charges and people need to be valuing it and paying more for music. So, um, you know, even if we can't sort of change some of the structures, you know, we need to work out other ways that people can respect musicians and, and look after them a bit more. Are there any um, standout gigs over the last 10 years, uh, whether it be here, overseas? The last tote gig, so 10 years ago, the tote was supposed to be closing. Yeah. And you can't kill the tote. Um, that was when it shut down through because of the, um, the licensing conditions. Yeah. And um, so we all thought it was going to close and um, any current suppression ring with the first band on at midday. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. And the drones were the last band. And um, Joel Silbershire from God got up and um, sang "My Pal," that's Melbourne right, anthem, Melbourne anthem with uh, with the drones, and so that was the first and last band, and there were about thirty bands in between, and um, <laughs> and that was as good as uh, you know yeah. Melbourne uh, scene could get. And then yeah, for my fortieth birthday, I went over to see the Stones at um, in in New York, and um, went with James the Hound Dog, and we saw them twice, and. Um, yeah, so Springsteen jumped up and did Tumbling Dice with them and uh, Keys jumped up and Gary Clark Jr. and and all of that. And um, it just got to the stage where everywhere we went, um, Stone's lyrics were jumping out at us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, so we sort of saw a bakery and it was called Tops, which is one of our favourite <laughs> Stone songs. And then we saw, you know, um, it was just everywhere we looked was a Stone's lyric. Yeah. And it got to the point where we are so taking it for granted that I went to – um, withdraw some money from an ATM, yeah, and and a Stones lyric came out on the ATM. What did I say? This is killing me. <laughs> I, I I still we still can't remember. But I looked at James and said, "Oh yeah, of course it is." And we went, <laughs> "Yeah," just just shrugged our shoulders. Yeah, there was it, a Stones Stones lyric coming out on the ATM <laughs> when I was withdrawing money. And one day we might remember it. I've asked a few banking people. What could it have been? Can they do some search or something like that? You, you, you probably um, saw your bank balance and it was like, I can't get no satisfaction. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. But the fact that we sort of just looked at each other and shrugged our shoulders like it was normal. Yeah. Um, so that was a, that was a, yeah, I was very lucky, to, very lucky to be doing that. So 
Yeah, they're the probably the standout local gig. Cool, and, man. Um, what are you gonna miss the most? Um, I really, really love the team yeah. that I work with. Um, we've got musicians and and just really passionate people in the team. Um, the board board members have they volunteer their time. You know, we didn't have we really don't get a lot of funding. We we, yeah. we looked after now, which is great, but it was a real struggle. Um, so a lot of volunteers, you know. All of these law uh, reforms that we got through, you know, like I'm not an expert in bloody planning or uh, liquor licensing. We have we have experts that are, and they just volunteer their time. They just come in, and you know, fortunately, Music Vic's got a reputation that if we believe in something and if we believe in a cause, we'll see it through to the end. Yeah, and we won't stop stop until we get a result. And yeah, the people that just jump on board, we've got QCs. I mean, you know, we're talking millions of dollars of free yeah consultancy that have basically um, come through Music Victoria to achieve these goals. And wow. And I really love that, you know, and the amount of work these people put in for nothing just because yeah. they love music, just because yeah. they love it. They love it. That's they the thing, it. isn't it? They love the tunes. Yeah. And look, I, I, I started this whole game, you know, 20 years ago because I just respect musicians so much and, and venue owners. And I just wanted to help out because I felt so, you know, disgusted at how little they got paid. Mm. It's, it's, you know, if you want to, if you want to sort of, condense it all into, you know, you know, um, a, you know, a, a, a common sort of goal of why I do all this. I just love what you all do. And I, I, I find it quite despicable how little you're valued and compensated for it. So mm. I've just basically hitched myself to that to try and help, help make things a little bit better for you all. Um, yeah. and if I've achieved a bit of that, then you know, mission accomplished. I think you've done that in spades, man. And I mean, you you would know you're a musician yourself when you were playing with Cow's Muff as well. It's still playing. Um, yeah, it, it's weird, isn't it? Because there are just so many outgoings that people just don't really see. And, you know, by, by yeah. the time, you know, bands sacrifice all this time and recording an album and stuff, there's just really not much left. Yeah, there's not. And, and that's been one of the problems that because the government thinks that we enjoy it so much and we'll do it anyway, they don't need to pay us for it. And that's a problem. We will do it anyway. Um, so that's a big issue about the value, how people value it. There's such an oversupply of, of bands and venues here. You know, it's just economics, you know, mm. drives the price down. But um, I think COVID's going to have some positives for the industry and we need to latch onto those, identify those and try and come out with, um, you know, um, emphasising some of the positives and making some changes. Definitely. Well, I've got one more question. What are your plans next? What are your next moves? Can you reveal? <laughs> oh, man. Um Taking summer off, um, hanging, <laughs> yeah. out, hanging, hanging out with my mates and uh, family, and cool. um, you know it's very hard to um, take some time out. Um, you know, usually you take on the next role. Yeah, um, a lot of things have been um, music fix created a lot of opportunities um, through nighttime economies, and you know, uh, bringing people back together, and 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 the and the planning precinct model. Um, there's quite a bit of work that we've created some opportunities yeah. in, but because I've been running an organisation as well and we've all got our projects to run, you know, there's no one to actually really pursue those and to really capitalise on those opportunities. So yeah. I'm looking at some opportunities to um, keep helping music and the music industry and um, and, the, and, and the state um, by just spending more time on some specific things. So right. Um, I'm, um, I'm delaying any decisions or any phone calls or any meetings till February. Yeah, great. And I'm going to have um, a rocking summer and I feel like I'm 18 again, mate. I've just finished school. So, um, <laughs> you know, I'll definitely continue the cause and continue helping music and uh, I'll uh, see what the next adventure is, uh, you know, at the end of summer. So, um, 
yeah, just need to decompress for a bit because it's only now that you stop yeah. that you actually reflect on the 10 years and realise that, you know, we haven't taken the foot off the pedal. Yeah. Um, and there's a reason why Music Vic sort of, you know, got a global reputation um, and it's pretty exhausting. And I think someone, you know, it's time for someone else to uh, to have a crack and uh, put that hardcore energy into it. And I look forward to seeing what they do in the next 10 years. Well, where you've taken Music Victoria in the last 10 years has been incredible. To learn that you're still staying in the industry is amazing. You've been a champion of Melbourne music for as long as I can remember. Um, and I'm just so glad that you took time out to chat today, man. I'm, I'm really excited um, to see what comes next and just want to thank you as a musician for the last 10 years and what you've done for all of us. Oh, thanks, Matty. No, I love it and it's a beautiful, beautiful, ginormous family and um, I just can't wait till we can all get back together again. Definitely. Thanks for jumping on the Muso podcast. Thanks, Matty. There you have it. Patrick Donovan, outgoing CEO of Music Victoria. Ten amazing years. Remember, we've got all the takeaways from that chat in the show notes. So... If you haven't created your free Muso profile yet, it's super easy. We'll help you get discovered, get gigs and get paid and see you for episode four on the Muso podcast.